Hello, it's Chappie here. I'm uh, I'm actually stranded at sea with Captain Fishy on a beautiful pea green boat. Viking variable two to four, becoming southeasterly four to six later. Sea state slight or moderate weather, rain later. Visibility good, occasionally poor later. North Altshire. Wind northwesterly four or five becoming variable two to four, then becoming southeasterly four to six later. Sea state slight to moderate becoming smooth or slight, weather rain later. Visibility good, occasionally poor later. South Utshire, wind northwesterly four to five becoming variable two to four, then becoming southeasterly four to six later. Sea state slight to moderate becoming smooth or slight, rain later. 40s, wind variable 3 or less, becoming southerly or southeasterly 3 to 5, occasionally 6 later. Sea state smooth or light becoming slight to moderate. Weather fair than rain, visibility good occasionally poor. 4th, wind veering southward 3 to 5, occasionally variable 2 later. Sea state smooth or slight becoming slight or moderate. Weather fair than rain and thundery showers later. Visibility good occasionally poor. Dogger, wind variable 2 to 4, becoming southerly or southeasterly 4 to 6. Smooth or slight, becoming slight or moderate, weather fair than rain and showers. Good occasionally poor later. Fisher, northwesterly 5, first and northeast, otherwise variable 2 to 4, becoming southerly or southwesterly 4 to 6. Sea state slight to moderate, weather fair than rain or showers. German bite. Wind 2 to 4 becoming southerly or southeasterly 4 to 6. Sea state slight to moderate, weather fair than rain or showers. Visibility good, occasionally poor later. For all of you fishermen and sailors on the high seas. Yes, 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 Captain. Yes, I'll, yes, I'll bring your tea right now. Here we go. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry sir. I'm so sorry, sir. Oh, what a clumsy klutz I am. A thousand apologies, my dear boy. Is keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Is keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Is cauliflower cheese. Is cauliflower cheese. Yes, welcome along, Monsieur, Madame, Governor. Governess. It's Chappie the British Butler. Welcome along to the program. It's wonderful to have you here. I think everybody's in attendance. You at the back, are you listening? Yes, I thought so. You were sleeping again. So, just uh, talking about some of the things that we uh, we may or may not be talking about on the uh, program today. 
trial by separation, anxiety for lockdown puppy dogs. Everybody's going back to work. They're worrying about their pups, their hounds. How are you going to keep them uh, happy? How are you going to keep them uh, content whilst you're back to work? The Kongs work very, very well, but you could come back to a chewed up house if you're not careful. Dirty Dancing Lake is back in business as water levels rise again. How a Welsh pig farm changed the history of rock and roll. Saw somebody playing beach cricket in the week on Twitter. One of the heavier members of the team was used as a heavy roller. There'll be more about that later, potentially. And uh, big news and royal family news, anyway. The Queen and Prince Philip are moving back to uh, Balmoral. And the seahorse colony gallops back to life, revealing our impact on the natural world. And then British cowboys are saddling up for the rodeo on Dartmoor. And then how Henry VIII taught his daughter to spy. And how to get dressed. What does your swimsuit say about you? It's lovely to be back again on this uh, whimsical little portal we call uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And um, this is actually episode number 16 um, in our uh, pantheon of uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese episodes. So it's, uh, it's wonderful to, uh, to be with you here this afternoon. Um, here I'm uh, live in Colorado, but uh, broadcasting all over the world. I know a lot of people tuning in from the UK, US, France, Italy, Asia. So you're welcome. You're welcome, and uh, we'll uh, teach you a little bit of British eccentricity. We'll have some. Uh, we'll have some poetry. We'll be having a, a snapshot of uh, an old, uh, a dirty old man's life in the south of France in Tales of the Campagna. We may have a little bit of scallywag darts where we uh, really dissect the most heinous crimes of the gutter press in the week and, uh, and uh, rate them in terms of missing the board, triple 20, up to uh, Chappie's special prize. So some of the quotes of the week um, we have. To mock the truth, you have to know the truth. Free speech is too important for broadcasters to be allowed to censor offensive comedy programs, says actor Idris Elba. Masks are the new bra. When you don't wear one, everybody notices. That's Judy Murray, Andy Murray's uh, mother. A threat aimed at oneself is really not the same as an avalanche of death falling all around you. Uh, that's living in Haydn after Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini threatened my life, says Salman Rushdie. I feel like a constant feeding machine. That's what the Duchess of Cambridge said on Life with Three Young Children. This English accent was always a sound that I associated with someone I didn't like. Received pronunciation was the voice of the Tories and the ruling class as Welsh actor Matthew Rees, who was pushed to learn to speak at drama school. So as you all know, it's pretty essential for a butler to wear the uh, sparkling white pristine gloves that you have to sort of boil wash, a uh, spoonful of OxyClean to get any dirt or horrible umska stain out of them. So one of the, I guess, first world problems, I suppose, in terms of snack foods is the wonderful orange, delicious delight that is a Cheeto. Now, my daughter was staying with me recently and I said, well, what sort of snack would you like this evening, my darling? And she said, uh, I'd like Cheetos, Daddy. 
And so I, I, I got the uh, you know bag of cheetahs out and I poured some into a bowl. And she says, um, I don't really want to touch them. I don't want to get that that sort of insipid orange stain on my fingers that I can never get off. Because all through the week, I mean, I was eating some Cheetos and she says, Daddy, your hands have been stained for five hours. I said, well, I washed them, but the stain is still there. So I don't always wear my white gloves around, obviously, uh, around and about. So um, she suggested, um, I, so I gave her the bowl and I said, uh, well, you know, what are you going to do with that? And she actually moved her, um, she, you know, she moved her face down and firstly she ate the cheetos like a pig at a trough face down and then i gradually said well you know darling if we ever go to a dinner party and they're serving cheetos uh, you know they'll think that you're sort of a basic neanderthal so she then evolved into etiquette friendly eating cheetos with a spoon which i think was absolutely genius i thought eating eating them like a cheeto trough was one thing the spoon was absolutely genius. So all that orange dirt and umska doesn't get all over your fingers. That's why one always has to carry a pair of white gloves in the pocket. White gloves in the pocket at all times to avoid you know, any, any snack that uh, lingers on the fingers for rather too long. So praise to the Lord, the dirty dancing lake is back in business. Water levels are rising again. So fan of the Patrick Swayze dance film, can have the time of their lives. I had the time of my life. Uh, thanks to uh, good spring rains. Every year, fans of the 1987 film Dirty Dancing make pilgrimage to the Mountain Lake Lodge in Virginia where Patrick Swayze hoisted Jennifer Grey over her head. The lodge has the original cabin where Baby, played by Grace, stays with her family in the gazebo where she learns to dance. It started to drain in 2006 and 2008, was completely dry, according to Heidi Stone, the manager. It was an awkward uh, moment for the resort named Mountain Lake Lodge, as it was even harder for all the Dirty Dancing fans they know very well from the most famous line in the film that nobody puts baby in the corner. Now, to the delight of the lodge, all that who wish to be baby, the lake has abruptly began to refill. It started coming back this spring, says Miss Stone, and we've had an unusually wet spring. So you're going to have a lot of people probably um, on their way over to the lake recreating this moment. Now, I'd love to see a couple of sumos lift each other in that lake. That would be pretty fantastic. Uh, maybe a very strong, smaller lady and a rather rotund man would be, uh, would be rather fantastic as well. But in my uh, you know, sad case that I'm in, I think I might have to take my dog George there and lift her aloft. But she may need a snossage or two to persuade her for me to lift her aloft over my head in the middle of that lake. But we would be having the time of our lives. So there's a rather lovely piece about Rockfield, how Welsh pig farm changed the history of rock and roll. Rockfield is down a rocky track between two fields a few miles from the Welsh town of Monmouth and looks much like any other ramshackle, pleasantly bucolic family farm. There's cows in the field, horses in the stable, a dry stone wall bordering an old barn. You'd never guess how many of the world's greatest rock bands have lived, slept, fought and made their albums here. Freddie Mercury apparently wrote Bohemian Rhapsody. It was called Freddie's Thing. Uh, and Queen spent a week there where they like played Frisbee and did the recordings. Uh, Coldplay Chris Martin recorded uh, his albums there. The Stone Roses took 13 months making the second coming. Uh, and they wanted to witness the arrival of two calves on the farm. David Bowie 
uh, popped uh, out with a huge piece of cheese and a can of Heineken, according to Jim Kerr of the Simple Minds, who recorded albums there. Uh, Noel Gallagher, who made the second Oasis album, What the Story, Morning Glory, at Rockfield uh, over two weeks in 1995. And apparently there was like almost uh, uh, pickforks at dawn. Uh, some of the uh, some of the band members, I imagine like Liam and Noel, um, you know, maybe wrestling and romping around in the uh, in the straw here with pickforks at dawn, trying to decide over the next lyric for Wonderwall or whatever it is. But really um, interesting documentary out at the moment um, about Rockfield Farm and its history in the uh, in the whole encyclopedic knowledge of rock and pop music. So as I said earlier in the show, recreational cricket and a lot of recreational sports back. Baseball's actually back uh, this week as well, which is rather fabulous. But I saw um, on Twitter a beach game of cricket where they wanted to flatten out the sand and they used one of their more um, uh, heavy walrus-looking um, teammates and they rolled him along the sand to perfect the beautiful, smooth, pitch-like surface. So at least afterwards, after this gentleman, I think he was probably almost like a keg of beer at that point. He, had, he, had, uh, he was two sheets to the wind. But at least they didn't see any cracks in the pitch after being rolled. And now Jeff Boycott can stick his key in and see if it's a moist track or not. So we're all on Zoom calls at the moment. And um, apparently vain Zoomers are going crazy for cosmetic surgery before returning to the office. Next time you're in the office, do not be surprised if one of your colleagues looks a little bit different Cosmetic surgery clinics are reporting a surge in people having procedures after months of scrutinizing their appearance on the video conference apps such as Zoom. Some are opting for tweaks such as uh, eye lifts to restore more, more youthful appearance. Others are choosing mummy makeovers involving breast lifts, tummy tucks and liposuction up to £20,000. Jeff Lamb, uh, Jared Lamb, sorry, is a cosmetic plastic surgeon and spokesman for the British Association for Aesthetic uh, Plastic Surgeons. He runs Reflect Clinics all over London, and he said uh, his bookings have increased fivefold over the Zoom factor. Many are extra keen to get booked while they can work from home and recover without colleagues and wider family knowing that they've got had some work done. There will be a lot of people returning to work in the coming months looking uh, mysteriously fresher, perkier, and slimmer. Well, you know, I, I think I, I could probably store a bagel in between my chins at the moment. So I might get a little bit of, you know, chin suckage there. Um, but, you know, a starch collar and a cravat or ascot cover uh, a multiple of sins because you can puff that ascot up to cover any double chin. And then if you have a puffy sort of ruffled shirt, that's well ironed. You can uh, you can probably uh, you can probably c- uh, cover the uh, cover the beer belly as well. So my uh, my advice would be get yourself an ascot um, uh, or cravat and uh, puff that up under the chin. I think that works wonders. And another thing to um, to probably uh, dissuade. Uh, people on the uh, on the zoom calls is have a portrait of yourself directly behind on the call so i have a picture of myself and my dog directly behind so people can see me and then they see the portrait of me and george uh, actually i think it's eddie behind me so that's a rather wonderful trick as well um but uh my go-to on any zoom or facetime call is that wild boar and emoji 
it relieves all boredom for those on the call. Seeing like a big, hairy, cartoonish wild boar, very tusky, very hairy, absolutely uh, delicious for a Zoom call. Any old eels, any old eels, any, any, any old eels, jelly deals, swiveling eels, jelly old eels, jelly old eels, any old eels, any old eels, any, any, any old eels. Anyway, so jelly deals, which is an absolute uh, uh, British delicacy. So, you know, the long snake-like things that swim along rivers, uh, we actually um, fish for them and make them into a jelly-like substance. So jelly deals cure a pie-eyed Prince William. For some reason, it's the hair of the dog. Others swear by a bacon sarni to soak up all the previous night's excesses. The future king actually turns to jelly deals after a bender. The Duke of Cambridge revealed that he once tried the East End snack, chopped eels boiled in a spice stock that sets, forming a jelly, as a hangover cure. The uh, Prince William made the surprise admission to former rough sleeper Gary Griffiths during a visit on Thursday to the Light Project Peterborough Charity for the Homeless. Griffith Aruf, who worked in the restoration of Windsor Castle 92, remarked on the Duke's trim physique, and he said he needed a bit of pie and mash to fatten you up a bit. And William replied that he ate jelly deals on a hangover after a bender, agreeing he might have to shed a few pounds after, uh, you know, around the jowls. The working class dish dates back to the 18th century when eel, pie and mash houses opened up in, east, in the east of London. But it's acquired taste and many have disappeared as European eels, which once thrived in the River Thames, are endangered and their numbers are down 90%. Organised crime is sent to make, make $3 billion a year, smuggling 350 million live baby eels to Asia where they're prized. Hangover cures are dismissed by the National Health Service as a myth, but the prince could try eating a banana before bed, downing some pickle juice or rubbing a slice of lemon under his armpit before drinking. You know what? I, I quite like the idea of the old jelly deals. I think what I would do is I would go for a jelly deal cucumber sandwich. Of course, the crusts have to be cut off. And then followed by the jelly deals, I would have a spot of a spotted dick and some custard. So jelly deal sandwich, crust cut off, spotted dick and custard. Yummy, 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 yummy. So I love a bit of banter uh, with, uh, with our Aussie cousins. Um, of course, a lot of them, uh, you know, rather light-fingered. We sent them over to... Uh, to Australia on the back of the boat many years ago. A couple of ex-cons over there. But no, we love a little bit of banter. A lot of sport play between uh, the UK and Aussie, Aussie land. And um, one of the most interesting things I, I was looking in the week, there's a beautiful picture of this snowy pass. So living in Colorado, snowy passes are sort of to a penny. Absolutely stunning views and vistas here. But I never knew about the Charlotte Pass in New South Wales. So the Charlotte Pass, pass um, has an elevation of 1,837 metres and it's a location snow resort and village in the snowy mountains of New South Wales. The pass is, is located in a national park that crosses the Kangaroo Ridge and the pass is the closest to village of uh, Mount Kusakusko. Now, I probably absolutely messed that up, the, uh, the pronunciation of that. 
um, but is in the snowy mountains named after Charlotte Adams, who was the first European woman to climb the mountain. And it provides access to some of uh, Australia's highest alpine terrain as former stop stop off point for uh, public vehicular access to the mountain. Um, and being an alpine area, it's subject to extreme temperatures. I never knew there was. Uh, I never knew that there was a, a, actually uh, ski destinations and ski runs in in Australia. But in North South Wales, it's a, it's a, it's the highest point I believe um, in Australia, and I think it's the most northern point as well. Um, but anyway, the things that you learn about uh, about our Aussie our Aussie cousins. So, I mean, I think the Aussies would probably need, uh, on the Charlotte Pass, extra thermals required to keep their snags warm. Um, you could have sort of like an Ashes equivalent or a bobsleigh equivalent England against uh, Aussie ice fishing competition. Uh, and maybe for sustenance, toasted Vegemite sandwiches for all the cold skiers. And um, one of the other um, areas within uh, Australia um, that rather entertained me when I was doing a little bit of research about the Charlotte Pass is the name Smigginoles. The name Smigginoles, which is an, an, another part of um, uh, you know this northern part of Australia, uh, this uh, this very uh, high elevated part, and Smigginoles is a Scottish origin, and it means the trampling of hundreds of cattle consuming rock salt that grazier had placed there, causing depressions that filled with water. These depressions were called Smigginoles. It reminds me of some of my ex-girlfriends, actually. The uh, year 1939 signaled the start of Smigginoles as a destination for skiers. Smigginoles is widely regarded as one of the best beginner ski resorts in the Australian snowfield. So I think I may, may need to make a uh, a uh, quick trip out to Smigginoles and learn how to ski. And they do have great meat pies there, so you can always have a, a hot pie after after doing the black run, I'm sure. We have some fantastic news, ladies and gentlemen. The Naked Cowboy rules the strip streets of New York. The busker, the Naked Cowboy, who's in Manhattan, has started welcoming back tipping tourists as holidaymakers trickle back to the Big Apple. So tourists tentatively return to Times Square. The Naked Cowboy has a novel way of encouraging them to come close for photographs. He says, coronavirus, my ass. And uh, he wiggles around his tone behind, his tushy, his derriere. We can't French kiss anymore, he says. It works a treat. Giggling out of towners, leap into the street performers, beefcake arms, and pose for pictures and leave for a tip. Robert Burke, to use his real name, is wearing his usual three-piece uniform, tight white Y-fronts, cowboy boots, and Stetson-style hat. And he's now sporting his face mask as a chin strap with his guitar slung under his crotch, hiding his breeze, giving him the illusion of nudity. So anyway, it's good that the uh, it's good that the cowboy is back. Maybe I could become Colorado's naked butler, giving white glove treatment, full table dancing services while serving orders. But I don't think we could do the uh, flaming at the table flambe. Too much flammable hair on show. So it seems like in the week, Mick Hucknell, the uh, randy rampant redhead uh, from Simply Red, has come out as the rockers against wokeism. Something's obviously got him started. He's certainly on a new flame, haired redhead. 
And he uh, used to just want the ladies for their babies, but now his star has fallen. At least he's speaking against the fairground woke brigade. No laughter about midgets or bearded ladies. I think in this new uh, age, um, bearded ladies, I mean, I was thinking about this in the week. Uh, bearded ladies should donate their facial hair to balding men with a limited barnet. I think it'd be absolutely, it, it would solve a lot of problems. So, you know, if they decide to shave off the beard, then uh, then uh, then some of these uh, more uh, unfortunate gentlemen who are lacking hair could have the bearded ladies' uh, barnet on top of the uh, on, on top of the uh, balding uh, dome. What do you think? So we have a little bit of medieval uh, delving into the Dingley Dell here. Um, Henry VIII taught his daughter how to spy. England's Secret Service was not founded, as generally supposed, by Elizabeth I's curious searcher out of secrets, Sir Francis Walsingham. Her father had his own sophisticated network, half a century earlier, historian claims. Neil Murphy of Northumbria University said he has unco- uncovered rings of dozens of spies working for Henry in Scotland in the 1520s, who had the same core skills of Walsingham, who would bring down Mary Queen of Scots decades later. His research indicates that England's espionage networks were greatly expanded and refined during Henry's conflicts with Scotland and France. For a paper of historical research, Dr. Murphy trawled back to 1523. England was braced for a Scottish invasion that threatened to divert their resources for an offence in uh, France. The academic said he was surprised to discover extensive infiltration of the Scottish court and army of spies, informers, operating in cells and passing on coded messages. So women were very prominent amongst England's spies. Isabella Hopperingle, the prioress of Colstrom, was the first person to alert Surrey to Albany's arrival in Scotland in September that year. The abbess in her 60s used her position as a pretext to move uh, with the retinue observing Scottish preparations for the uh, for the uh, for the actual war, Dr. Murphy said the popular understanding that Elizabeth III had laid the foundations of the Secret Service is incorrect. Most of the groundwork was established by Henry VIII. These groups of informers were similar to what you see today: the double agents and triple agents, and their opportunists who come with information. Shadowy individuals at the centre of the Scottish court and the French court. Hey, we've got some scalawag darts here. So we, we, we take the most heinous headlines uh, in the week, uh, mainly in the British press, but um, uh, probably around the world. We, uh, we sort of drill into uh, some of the dodgiest headlines uh, across the whole of the world in terms of uh, heinous press headlines. So um, and we basically decide, is it missing the board, triple 20? Is it uh, going to be a bullseye or Chirpy's special prize? So I think um, probably missing the board this week, we've got another latest sighting of the Loch Ness Monster. Yet another sighting of the Loch Ness Monster. It's getting oh so dull, oh so dull indeed. 
Um, so that's missing the board. And I think also missing the board this week is Panther on the loose clinging to a park bench turned out to be a stuffed toy. All right, they're missing missing the missing the arrows board this week. Um, and I think we have uh, probably our triple twenty. Swarm of flying ants is so big it actually shows up on the weather map from space. And then uh, we got a absolutely uh, brilliant uh, bubonic plague, a frivolous farting of a bullseye here. Man is fined 450 pounds. Fined 450 pounds, ladies and mantelpieces, for a provocative fart in front of police officers. 450 of the Greens for a provocative fart in front of uh, in front of police officers. I'm just sort of wondering you know what a what a provocative fart even means so a man in vienna has been fined nearly 500 pounds for farting provocatively in front of police officers austrian police officers were forced to defend the penalty after the Utrecht newspaper revealed the man had been punished for the offending public decency on june the 5th officers argued that the offender was uncooperative and behaving provocatively, which led the officers leading up to the incident. They wrote on Twitter that the man had been sitting on a park bench before looking up at them and letting uh, and letting go a massive intestinal wind, apparently with full intent. So you know, I'm just thinking about how that would probably uh, how that would probably sound. You know, if we're if we're actually uh, if we're we're actually delving into it here. So. Uh, so you've got your, um, so you've got your, your your police officers coming over here. Just imagine there, you know, like a couple of a uh, couple of bobbies here, um, and uh, and they're on, you know, they're on their way over to see the the culprit here, who's sitting on the uh, sitting on the park bench here, and uh, oi, mate, what are you doing there on the park bench? And then he and then he just and then he just like like lets absolutely. Uh, Oi, Governor, you're going to have to come with us. Uh, anybody got any Anybody got any rubber gloves here? And we have Chappie's special prize. Mum drinks sperm smoothies to fight off the coronavirus. So I think she's having a shake for breakfast, a shake for lunch, and then a full evening shag, I would say. Tales from La Campagna. Tales from the French countryside. My uh, rather dastardly, naughty, little impish, cheeky little uncle uh, who resides in the south of France had a trip to Paris apparently uh, recently with lockdown lifted in 75 destinations. France is, uh, is actually one of them and a lot of people obviously are heading to more secluded areas but apparently Paris, according to him, is ideal. The Garden or the, um, the train service on the Eurostar um, and any train service is actually practicing uh, social distancing. Everybody's wearing masks. You're getting the leopard print ones. You're getting the uh, French knickers on the head, apparently, according to him. There's barely a, a queue at the Louvre. He arrived at his 11.30 slot and quickly going through security. Um, and there was no queues to see Leonardo's Virgin on the Rocks. Well, he's hardly a virgin for many years. 
Pisanello's portrait of the young princess or Goya's Countess de Capio. No, no cues there. The museum's actually operating a one-way system. So you end up wa walking miles down corridors. Um, and you'd probably hit your 10,000 steps within half an hour. And then across the Seine, the Musée de Sorsay, um, you, you don't have the book and there's no wait to actually get in. Uh, Montmartre, um, there's no wait to get into Montmartre either. Uh, so, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful place to go at the moment. Hardly any crowds. Um, you can sit on the Seine, uh, have a little bit of a picnic. A lot of the restaurants are practicing social distancing with only 50 cent capacity. Um, so you can have your uh, baguette and a little dash of butter or pan au chocolat. Anyway, I imagine uh, my uncle on his trip to Paris, almost like when Croc Dundee went to New York, he'd probably be in full tweed rather than a fedora and croc skin jacket. Um, but you know what? I think Mick Dundee's knife if my uncle did have a have a similar sort of machete knife, would be absolutely wondrous and fantabulous when the charcuterie plate arrives, the charcuterie board. Just imagine having that knife to carve up all that meat and cheese. You know, I think I'm going to get myself one of those. So I always love a little bit of poetry to end the uh, end the podcast. Uh, Keep coming, cauliflower cheese, episode number sixteen. Um, so I, I so had a, a, a foray into some um, some Colorado poetry, but it's absolutely, as I said, the mountainous vistas here are incredible. Um, so I came across this uh, lovely auto, uh, poem by Hinshaw, I Am Eagle. I welcome the rising sun from the comfort of my airy, surveying my domain, the mountains, streams, and verdant prairie. I preen my feathers and flex my wings for another day of flight, Song over God's vast creation, cherishing everything in sight. Ah, to behold the ever-changing panorama unfolding neath my wings. Ye mere mortals can only dream of the magnificence of such things. Shimmering lakes, from which latter for lunch I'll snag a trout. Below, herds of bison and groups of deer with fawns gambling about. Heard from dulcet hymns of water rushing earth, stones and meandering streams, Distant snow-capped mountains glistening in the sun's radiant beams. I settle atop a Colorado spruce to rest and muse upon my situation. I'm so honoured to be selected as the emblem of this great nation. With the people of this land I share vigour and far-sighted vision. Even with its flaws, democracy will be sustained. This is what I envision. I take time to gaze at the grandeur of the sun setting in the west and of a glorious mural by the martyr artist so beautifully expressed. I soar on gentle breezes back to my airy top, the mountain tore, and fold my wings and dream of soaring to the greater heights once more. That really is a magnificent, uh, momentous poem, isn't it? It makes me think of the, uh, of the tale of the, of the trout that's uh, swimming in a, it could be a Colorado uh, uh, lake uh, or river, and the eagle circling around, almost hypnotic, circling around the, uh, the lake and sees the trout floundering, swimming, know, knowing its fate below. The trout swimming, watching the eagle as it circles, as I said, almost hypnotically. As it swoops and dies down into the lake, the trout jumps out of the water, 
to make life easier for the eagle and was hoisted aloft into the skies, into the skies, and obviously the end of the, the trout's life. But the trout wanted to experience something magnificent and wondrous, separate from its mundane life of going around the, the lake or the river. And for that moment, it gasped and really sensed God's presence. And it, I think it's like a, a you know quite a quite a good little um, thought to end uh, the podcast. Um, so what we have, obviously, I have to end. I think with uh, with a with a little British ditty, a little British poem for you. Um, and always always love uh, always love the summer poems here. Memories of summer, uh, Paul Vincent Brown. Awaken at the dawn of chorus of birds warm sunlight on my pillow cumulus clouds in a cerulean sky fields of golden wheat below the buzzing of a honeybee as it passes by unseen the distant sound of a cricket game being played on a village green a graceful flight of swallows soaring high above the trees the fragrant scent of lavender carried by a summer breeze a picnic with my loved one eating strawberries in the sun, the peaceful sound of a blackbird singing when the day is done. All these fond memories of summer seem to help me in a way when the weather's cold outside on a frosty winter's day. Really pre- appreciate you hosses and hossesses listening to the, uh, the podcast this week and all your feedback. Keep cheese at Keep Cheese on Twitter. And uh, you'll, I'll be back again in this little portal of whimsy and wonder and nostalgia uh, next week. Uh, thanks for listening into the podcast. On the week where the probably the quote of the week, I think, is England cricketer becomes first to break rule in the no saliva on the balls. Cheerio.